You're listening to a podcast from Grace Church in Salado, Texas. For more information and resources just like this, visit us online at gracesalado.com. All right. Well, hello and welcome to the Grace Church Salado podcast. My name is David Laws, and I'm joined this week by my friend Corey Woodard, who leads our students' ministry here at Grace. Corey, thanks for jumping on this week. Always happy to. Um, you, nobody else can see this, but you're wearing an A&M polo right now. I don't care about football at all, but <laughs> on Twitter, there's a lot of talk about the App State loss. It, is that, let's just call how it does that feel week. from your perspective? Uh, let me throw out some words that are going on inside of me right now. Despair, uh, <laughs> <laughs> grieving. In the Old Testament, they would, they would rip off their clothes and cover themselves with ash and beat their chest, and there was some of that going on this past weekend um, in the Laws household. Man, so that's, yeah, that this sounds is not, rough. Yeah, this is not a week that I planned on wearing my AM shirt. I, I figured I'd wait till we finally get a win on the schedule. But oh, yeah, such is life. Such is life. Well, <laughs> for those of you who are listening, we don't just talk about Aggie football here. Uh, we do this podcast every week. So we that, can just talk about soccer if you want. Though. Hey, that's that. that'd anyway, be a sorry, much better on. conversation. Uh, well, yeah, we do this podcast each week, so you would come away loving God's Word more and just knowing how you can take it and apply it to your everyday life. So this week, we're going to be looking at our life verse, which is in Psalm chapter 70, verse 4, and it says this, May all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. May those who love your salvation say evermore, God is great. So, Corey, uh, I'm excited to have you this week. I know you were, like, bursting at the seams earlier when we were talking about the podcast and kind of uh, envisioning what would come. I, I saw the excitement in you. I uh, I told David that if I go too long, he needs to pump the brakes. He said he would not. So if this is another, like, 27-minute one, it's not my fault. I tried. <laughs> I tried fact, to get him to in. In fact, I said I was going to pour gasoline on the fire. So <laughs> yeah. if this ends up being an hour, um, <laughs> I'll take full blame for that one. But I am excited to dig into it. So, you know, when you look at the context, what do you see going on here in this passage? Yeah, so it uh, starts out with uh, David saying, God, hurry to rescue me. Lord, hurry to help me. Um so uh, there are a lot of instances, and in, not this David, but the biblical David, well, maybe this David too, uh, <laughs> in his life where people are trying to attack him and <laughs> they're wow. trying to destroy him and everything. And so we're not sure exactly which one of those times uh, David's talking about here, but it, it seems very clear that um, this is a time in David's life where people are after him, they're trying to destroy him. And so he's praying that those wicked people um, would be disgraced, that God would confound them. And uh, what, what's the terms used? He says that they would be turned back and humiliated, that they would retreat because of their shame. And he puts that in contrast to those who are seeking the Lord. So those who are the enemies of Yahweh, he wants them to be confounded and to retreat in shame. But those who seek Yahweh, he prays that they would rejoice in their salvation. Um, and uh, it finishes with an, an realization that Yahweh is the only one that can save David, that he is poor and needy, and Yahweh is the only help, the only rescue that he has. So I feel like... We just moved quickly past this, but I made some like 1950s Batman style sound effects to the attack section. So it was for and some you reason. You just moved flawlessly through it. I mean, you were unfazed by that. <laughs> because, well, first of all, I teach middle schoolers on Wednesday nights. So <laughs> there's it's that. It's showing. Yeah, uh, you've developed that. Also, I definitely thought it was an Indiana Jones whip sound, and I was just wow. super confused. Yeah, that would have been disorienting. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
So, yeah, so this is a section where David, it, you know, he had these different episodes of being under attack, you know, whether it was from Saul or someone else. So um, that's what we're looking at here. And then when you when you kind of put the micro, not, yeah, the microscope, uh, I know he said the microphone, don't, that wouldn't make sense here. But if you put the microscope on this passage in particular and, and what meaning, you know, we're intended to get out of it, what are some of the things that you see going on here? Yeah, so the first thing worth mentioning is, and I, I briefly touched on it already, there's kind of a contrast here between verses 2 and 3 um, and 4 and 5. You've got um, the enemies uh, of David, so which would mean the enemies of Yahweh on one side, and then those who seek him on the other. And this contrast between uh, the wicked and God's people is something you see throughout the Psalms a lot of times. Um, but... Something that I notice here that's a little bit different than the normal pattern is normally it's a contrast between the wicked and the righteous. The word righteous isn't actually used in this psalm, though, and so the contrast is more between the wicked and those who seek God. And so I think that's important because if you look, um, David is praying that the people attacking him would be ashamed due to their actions. He's saying that they deserve shame because of what they are doing. But those who deserve rejoicing, that well, they really don't deserve it at all. Those who he's praying would rejoice. He's saying that he wants them not to rejoice because of what they have done, but because of what God has done and is doing on their behalf. He gives a very specific reason for these people to rejoice and, and to um, be glad because of the Lord's salvation. He says, let all those who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. Let those who love your salvation. Whereas he's praying for the people to be ashamed, the wicked people to be ashamed because of what they have done. But again, he's praying for the people who seek the Lord to rejoice, not because of what they have done, but because of what God has done on their behalf. Yeah, and I love the second half where it says, may those who love your salvation say evermore, God is great. And I was just thinking, man, for our own people here at Grace, I, man, the desperation that I have to be labeled as a people who love their salvation and therefore proclaim that God is great. I'm like, man, if we would be a people um, who loved God's salvation and that led us to just constantly proclaim God's greatness, like what a great testimony, what a great identity, corporate identity that would be. But I, I just want to kind of put on these very, I don't know, realistic goggles for a second, you know, and like, if you're just average Steve Stevenson, right? Like you're just, you're just somebody uh, that's maybe been walking with Jesus for, who knows, let's say 20 years, right? That's a, it's just a challenge to like actually keep holding on to the joy of your salvation. Like for that to be this, this incredible thing that causes this type of spontaneous praise and this rejoicing and this celebration. And so, you know, like, let's, I just want to get really down on ground level for a second and just be like, how do we keep that? Like, how do you, how do you cling to that joy of your salvation when it's something that you're so familiar with? You know, it's like, if you get a new car, it's amazing. But over time it's, it's, you lose that. And we don't want that in our faith. Yeah. So I'm just curious, you know, um, well, so I think the first way uh, goes back to Hebrews. The author of Hebrews makes it very explicit. He says, hey, do not neglect the gathering. Um, and I'm not just saying this as someone who, like, is employed at a church. I'm saying this as someone who who has tasted firsthand um, the importance of not neglecting the gathering. Like, 
uh, we can all actually think about this really easily because during COVID, we couldn't come to church. Like there's a big stretch of time where we where we were forced to neglect the gathering. But there's something special that happens when you are sitting next to someone who, even when you're not rejoicing in your salvation, they are rejoicing in salvation. They're singing loud. Maybe they're singing off-key, and it's not that great. If they're next uh, to me, it'll be extra <laughs> off-key. <laughs> That's what I was going to say. Sometimes I'm behind people, and I'm like, man, sorry for you guys, but I'm worshiping. You know, I, I um, the few times that I get to just sit in the congregation during the singing. That is one of the times that I experience the best reminder of my salvation is because I may have, I may be struggling to remember it. Um, but the, the, the 12 year old who got baptized about a year ago next to me, he's singing loud. He's still feeling that fire, that newness, that, that first beautiful taste of his salvation. He's still feeling it. And so hearing him sing of the beauty of his salvation reminds me, oh yeah, this is something amazing. This is worth something celebrating each and every single day. Yeah. Well, and I think even in, when you zoom out, like beyond just the gathering, like God's people, period, play a, play an important role in that. Like I know there's just times where I'm interacting with Jason or you or Sam or you know or someone from community group, whoever it might be, and there's just that life giving dynamic that they kind of feed into you at different times. Like if you're going through hardship, like the way they can speak life into that, or you might be able to do that for them. Uh, I think that's a big one. And the other thing that kind of came to mind, I know we're kind of transitioning into more application, you know, than, than anything else. But um, the other thing that I was thinking about was in John 15, you know, in that passage about abide in me, abide in me. Near the end of that passage, it says something to the effect of like, this is for your joy. And I think about, man, if we're wanting that joy, but we're not doing the abiding um, I think it will always, there will be like a lifelessness to our faith. It'll be, it'll be this morph into these set of doxologies that we agree with rather than this relationship that's that's being life-giving for us. And so I think for me, when I find myself um, starting to move into cruise control, like that's the best kind of way I can think to describe it, where there's just that, that kind of just um, tendency towards lukewarmness. Usually that for me is like an indicator light that that there's not that abiding going on in the way that it should be. Like, you know, spending more time in the Word or just spending more time being still with God and saying, hey, I'm with you, I'm listening, I'm here, you know, even if it's not an action that I'm doing, but that, but that being still in that space with Him. Those are all things that kind of yeah. come to my mind. Yeah, and so that's like even what uh, this like gets into what Jason was preaching about this past Sunday. Yeah, that's right. Man, sometimes we're just shriveled. Um Sometimes, like, he was talking about the context of by Saturday, we're super shriveled, and so we need to come on Sunday um, to get refilled by Jesus. But sometimes at 11 a.m. on a Sunday morning in that sanctuary, sometimes even then, we're still shriveled. But even then, even when we're not feeling it in the worship, we get through the entire service, we we have a really great conversation with our brother or sister, sometimes we still feel shriveled, but... Jesus wants to refill us. Jesus wants that. He is the God of our salvation. And so, man, I don't know exactly what it's going to take for you individually um, to be refilled, but but maybe you do, or just pray. Just, like, ask God, hey, I'm feeling really shriveled. Can you help me? Jesus, help me in this. That's how David starts this psalm. He says, God, hurry to rescue me. Yahweh, hurry to help me. And then he he acknowledges by the end, 
um, that God is the God of his salvation. And so he, but he, he knows that he can ask for that. Sometimes he needs to ask for that. Sometimes it isn't just like right there in our grasp because we're in a fallen world and all these other things, sin and all these things kind of dampen, or as Paul says, they quench the spirit. Um, but you can go to Jesus. You can go to Yahweh and ask him to help you, ask him to save you, ask him to refill that joy that you once had in your salvation. Well, and you know what else that, that made me think of while you were saying that is you were you were kind of referencing this idea of going to God and pleading to him. Even just the dynamic of praying, period, like I, I've like specific prayers, God, I need you to I need this, I need you to respond in this way or or you know, intervene in this situation for this person, whatever it might be. But even even engaging like that in prayer, what happens is when you see God respond, like when you see him listen and answer a prayer, I don't know about you, man, but that's just one of those things that when I see that, I'm like, oh, I've been praying for this for three months, and then I, and then God just answered that really clearly, you know? There's something that happens in my spirit that's just like reminded, okay, God is present, God is good, God is active, God is here, you know, like all these truths um, just come to the forefront of your consciousness, you know, these things that, yeah, I agree with all those things, that God is present, God is active, but when you see Him actually intervening in our, in our daily life, um, by by responding to prayer in that way, I think that does something in our spirit to kind of ignite it, and and so maybe that's just another application. Like for those people that are craving um, more of that zeal or that celebration in their faith, like actually praying very specific things to God and watching Him answer them. And obviously, we know right that the answer is not always yes, but even in recent seasons, I think we talked about this a couple of weeks ago on the podcast. God has told my wife and I know on some things, but even now, a few weeks later, we've gotten to see the celebratory nature of that, like, oh, man, I'm so glad God didn't answer that prayer because, yeah. you know, now we can see why he said no. Um, and so that's just, an, you know, another thing that comes to mind. Yeah, and even just look back at yeah, your salvation. Absolutely. Look back at who you were and how you not, how you who you now are. Um, I, you know, I, I, I'm a student minister, so uh, I automatically think, oh, how would a 16-year-old or, or even younger look at this? Um when I was 16, I probably would have thought like, hey, there's, I haven't really seen many awe-inspiring works in my life. Like that's what y'all mm. talked about a lot last week in a yeah. very similar psalm was the awe-inspiring works of God. And those are certainly praiseworthy, but maybe you're in a place of like, hey, like I – you know, I haven't really seen that many awe-inspiring works. I haven't. I maybe I'm grew up in Salado and a wealth in a rel, relatively wealthy household. I haven't needed a lot of these awe-inspiring works. Like but, you're not one of those old grizzly Christians. Is like I've seen God yeah. do things for fifty years. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, like uh, Jason. I mean, uh, <laughs> um, he's not grizzly, but he's he is not. fifty years old. Um, I derailed you. Sorry, you were talking about yeah, you know, this, if you're uh, one of these gonna... if you're one of these youth that like don't have that life experience, you know, those yes, long yes, lists yes, of yes. things they've seen God provide. Yeah, so but if you're in that spot, but if you have been saved, you have the most awe inspiring thing to look at. You were dead in your trespasses and sins, and now through God's mercy, like you are alive. The Son of God died for you. Like I was thinking about this earlier today. Paul says in Romans uh, man, somebody like would scarcely even die for a righteous person. So the fact that the Son of God would die for you, that the Son of God would die for me, that's borderline absurd, man. And so if you are in a place that that has happened, that is, that is where the joy comes from. And if you're in a place where, man, you're just you're going through school, you're going through work, and you're just like, I, 
I don't feel that joy. Cry out. Ask the Lord for that joy. He wants to give you that joy. And that's why we have psalms like this, because even even once we have tasted and seen the beauty and the glory of God's salvation through Jesus Christ, sometimes God knows, sometimes we're not going to be joyful about it. And so he gives us these psalms to remind us that it's okay. We're in a fallen world. We're not perfect. It's okay to not be joyful every single second of every day. But we still need to move through that. We need to move through that sorrow and we need to ask him to give us that joy. And he wants and he wants so badly to give you that joy. And so just ask him for it. I'm not saying it's going to be fixed instantly. I'm not saying like you're going to wake up tomorrow and like forget everything that's going on in your life, but that joy will come. Yeah. Well, and it's, it's interesting too, because I was working on some mission stuff this morning and I was actually writing about this some, but um, you know, I was thinking about the story of the leper. He, 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 has his life completely radically transformed by Jesus, right? Jesus removes the leprosy. His social status is is restored. His relationship with God in a lot of ways is restored through that. His physical body is restored. Life-changing experience. And then Jesus tells him, hey, go and say nothing to anyone. Go show yourself to the priest. Don't say anything. Very next verse, he went and told everyone, you know, about what happened. So there's like this dissonance between what Jesus told him to do. And what I was reminded of is that a transformed life cannot stay silent about Jesus. A, a, trans, a life that's been transformed by Christ cannot stay silent about that too. And it's all kind of circular, right? Because we were just talking about this communal dynamic of how this encouragement can play out. And when we reflect on our salvation and that joy kind of bubbles up in us and we're excited because, right, like this is a dead person being brought to life. That's the language of salvation in scripture. And not just anyone, like you would be jazzed up if you saw that happen. But if it's your own story, I was dead, brought to life then there's this celebration that happens about that. And like I, I think when we reflect on that, there's no way to remain silent if that's what we truly believe has happened in our souls, is that we were brought to life from deadness and hopelessness. And so, man, I think the challenge in the work is just to remind ourselves of that and not let that drift out, yeah. of, out of our consciousness. Yeah, and I mean, a great way to do that is just say, hey, exactly what David said, God is great. Yeah. Even if you don't feel it, remind yourself of that. Go talk to somebody that can remind yourself of that. So, man, like, if if you're listening to us talk probably too long, and <laughs> you're like, "Hey, what do I what do I do with this now?" Like, okay, cool. Like, I get what you're saying, but why do I do this, man? If you're in your car um, with your kids in the back, if you are doing some chores at home with some headphones in, if you're at work, um, man, get out of your podcast app. Go to Spotify. Put on some worship music. Start singing. Start rejoicing. Start saying, God is great. Start talking with your kids about what you've seen God do in your own life. Start talking to your kids about that thing of salvation. Man, just put on, I was listening to this while I was praying it, that song, How Great Thou Art. Man, sing this. Uh, And when I think that God, his son not sparing, sent him to die, I scarce can take it in. that on the cross, my burden gladly bearing, he bled and died to take away my sin. Sing those songs. Sing God is great because of this salvation that he has offered us. Um, conversely, if you're in that place of like, man, I'm I'm actually feeling more dejected. I'm feeling more confounded. I'm feeling more shameful. If you If you are feeling that way today, but you're someone who is trusting in Jesus, you don't have to feel that way. 
Jesus is offering you rejoicing. He's offering you gladness because of what he has done for you. If you if you don't know, if you've ever tasted of the gladness that can come in Jesus, this is the gospel that is offered to you, that the Son of God died for you and resurrected so that you can rejoice, so that you can have this gladness in him. And he wants to give you that today if you just ask him for it. Yeah, well... I've had a lot of coffee, and I know you were excited, <laughs> and so we probably went, you know, longer than we intended, but I felt like there was so much good stuff, and so, you know, for everyone listening, we want to say thank you for joining us on the Grace Slato podcast. I, I hope that this short conversation helped you to be able to rejoice in your salvation with the same enthusiasm and zeal that you have when something incredible happens in your life, or, you know, you get some new thing that there would be that deep, steadfast rejoicing in your soul as you as you reflect back on your salvation. So thank you for enduring the, the longer time frame, and, and we look forward to sharing again next week on our Life Verse. Mm-hmm.